0: And welcome to the first Punks in Suits podcast, designed to help you figure out how to lead in these fast-changing times. On the show today, you'll hear guest interviewer Ginny Bailey say this.
1: Why do you use the expression blow up? Most people might say change the course of life or, you know, you're very specific about blowing up. And this. And of course, it sounds like the right thing to do, let go of your ego. It's bloody terrifying doing that. And this this unexpectedly profound. <laughs> already my bullet question. I'm feeling a little touched by that actually.
0: But first, thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Blair Palmer, and I write and speak about the future of leadership based on my experiences over the last 16 years, 16 years working with amazing leaders and their teams, uh, helping them work out how to lead today. And I'm so excited. This is my first Punks in Suits podcast, and it's great to finally go live with it. For this first show I asked my friend, colleague and the woman who inspired me to become a coach actually in the first place back in 1999, the amazing Ginny Bailey, to interview me and the idea was to give you a bit of background about what I think is happening in leadership at the moment and what formed me, why this work matters because you know probably for you as well as you're here listening business is personal so we're going to get a little bit personal with each other and that starts today so without further delay let's go to the interview i'm very excited but i'm also you know i've been your client uh you've been my coach and i'm slightly expecting a few zingers from you
1: so i'm i'm slightly nervous about that but um i think we should just Get on with it. I, I consider that full permission to produce a few zingers. <laughs> I am really curious. We have known each other for a really long time. I'm not sure that I've ever asked you why. Why do you do this stuff? Why do you put yourself through what you do on behalf of your clients in the name of your profession? Well, where, where, where did it all start? So I was born in 1970. No,
0: I'm not going to go that far back. But um, I, I can trace it back. A long way. So, as a child growing up, I was actually really unself aware. I was always putting my foot in it, I was always saying the wrong thing. I remember once I played in the school orchestra, I played the flute, second flute in the school orchestra. And uh, we had a concert, and I remember turning to the girl next to me and saying, oh, my God, look at the guy in the front row with the comb-over and the kipper tie. Can you believe that? And she said, that's my dad. (laughs) And I, (laughs) you know, it never occurred to me that that it might be her dad. It never occurred to me to be sensitive about something. I put my foot in it over and over and over again. A friend of mine came into school really sort of I thought grumpy one morning and I said oh here we go again turned out her dog had died that morning you know really inappropriate stuff and I always felt like maybe there was some book of the rules that were going to be given to me later on in life and suddenly it would all make sense and actually that is sort of what happened. so when I was at university there was a, a university counselling service provided by the students but we were trained by the Samaritans and it um, really appealed to me to go and get that training and to be part of this service it's called Nightline and in the Samaritans training something just clicked for me something about listening and something about the answers being in the person that is the one bringing the issue bringing the problem and the power of asking questions, and also some of the mechanics around confidentiality and non-judgmental questions and all those kind of things, I learned when I was 18. And all of a sudden, things that didn't make sense to me before started to make sense. So I think later on when I heard about you uh, in 1999, it was kind of familiar because I had been almost looking for something like that since I had discovered Samaritans and, and Nightline in that way of of being.
1: I mean that's fascinating because it was obviously a really big deal at university. But despite that, you didn't become a counsellor or a therapist. You became a journalist at the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> Explain. I decided to use my skills for evil instead
0: of good. Yeah, That's I'm, very
1: refreshing.
0: <laughs> I'd always wanted to be, well, I'd wanted to be an actress as a child, obviously. Um, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that I wanted to be an actress on the stage. I, but I wasn't a terribly talented actress and I was kind of worried about being out of work and things. But becoming a journalist and being a broadcaster in particular seemed like a a more secure and more reliable way of... Performing than, than becoming an actress, so when I went to university, um, although I read law at university, it was always my ambition to be a journalist and I worked at the student radio station and I worked at the local BBC station while I was still a student and I got lots and lots of experience, did lots of work experience in the summer holidays, that kind of thing. That was always what I wanted, and so i wasn't going to i wasn 't going to drop that. Um, even though I had discovered this other thing that there was something about the glamour and the the need to perform That was still very appealing to me. So yeah, so I, I went into journalism and I started working in uh, in local radio. I got my journalism postgrad diploma and um, and worked my way up and and as you know and as probably most people know ended up at Radio 4 on uh, The Today
1: programme and Women's Hour. God, I'm such a massive fan of Woman's Hour. <laughs> I'd love to know some of the inside stories, but we're not talking about Jenny Murray, we're talking about you. Um, well, you did have your moment, you were on it. I know, I know, yes. but I'd lo- I want to be on it again. That's was 20 years ago. Um, I'm, 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 I'm scheming, don't worry, I'm scheming. You left the BBC to become a coach. I'm presuming most people thought you were barking mad. There's an element of, you're blowing up your career, that's it. What are you doing, Blair? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think everybody
0: probably thought I was mad. Weirdly, the only person that didn't think I was mad was the person who I was convinced would try to persuade me otherwise. Um, he was my dad. So when I said to him, you know, in, in in the late nineties, Oh, I'm thinking of jacking this in and starting my own business, doing this thing that no one's ever heard of, you know, coaching in in the nineties, as you know, it was the wild west. I mean, no one knew anything about what it was including most of us who were trying to do it. Uh, It was a very immature industry. Instead of blowing it out of the water and telling me that I was a crazy person, it was really supportive. But yeah, the majority of people thought that it was crazy, thought that I wouldn't be able to make it work, thought that I'd be back, crawling back to the BBC
1: after six months. Why do you use the expression blow up? Most people might say change the course of life or, you know, uh, you're very specific about blowing up. Well. I'm quite dramatic as a person
0: so I never talk about things in quite subtle terms hardly ever Uh, but yeah it did feel like that you know when you're it's not the only time that I've done it and it does feel like this moment of leaping over the edge of a cliff life can be quite predictable and there is there is reassurance in that and when you take a dramatic left turn or a dramatic right turn you do not know what lies down there and you're giving up the known even if that known is something that makes you quite unhappy i mean i was pretty unhappy at the bbc but towards the end of my career there but even so To turn my back on it it's it's the devil you know thing to turn my back on something that I I was being paid for I was being paid regularly to to an outsider I was successful I was working on a on a program that was legendary two programs that that are legendary at the BBC um, and I was going to walk away from it I wasn't waiting for redundancy I was leaving Something that was extremely secure and extremely uh, valued in society for something that
1: wasn't. What are you looking for when you blow up? You're you're about to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's behind the blow-ups? There must be some common thread that you're that you're looking for or evolving towards. What, what do you what do you think it is? It's such a good question. See, there you go, Ginny. I think this
0: whole thing has been about trying to live life in a way that is a really good fit for me and two things have happened probably the first thing is that I have changed and I'm constantly changing as most people are so what was a good fit for me five or ten years ago wouldn't be a good fit for me now because I've changed and evolved the other thing that's happened is that I'm I have an increasing level of awareness about who I really am. So there are actual changes happening. And then there is a sort of self-discovery thing going on at the same time. So I'm plodding along with my life, doing the things that I had made a conscious decision to do X number of years ago. And then you get to a certain point where you think, huh, so much has happened to me and so much evolution has taken place that I'm now out of sync. The work and and myself or my lifestyle and myself are now out of sync. And so you need to make an adjustment. And sometimes those adjustments are very small. So it's not like I'm constantly blowing it up. Sometimes the adjustments are very small. But sometimes you look around and you think, oh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've, I've moved quite far away without even noticing it from... Where I was five years ago, and now it's going to make more
1: of a. It's going to need more of a major adjustment to mm-hmm. catch up with myself. I, I know that you're on a, a brink of major lifestyle adjustment, moving to become a country girl from a city girl, and still world domination and the leadership uh, platform. We know all the good stuff. Well, what do you? What are you afraid of? What, what's what's the nervy bit? What's the oh stomach in the throat heart bit? and there are lots you know what i must really like that feeling because i
0: don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't do this but I, mean, I, must, yes. I must like it deep deep down because it, i don't like it uh, all on the surface so just to explain the plan I, i'm not really changing the business in a major way i'm still speaking i'm still writing i'm still working with gangs of leaders teams of leaders i'm still working with large corporates as well as smaller kind of funkier um, businesses None of that has really changed, and my uh, my mission is still around helping leaders figure out how to lead in what is frankly very fast changing times. And the world is very um, is shifting um, at the moment, so that hasn't changed. But the, the big Change now is to leave my lovely little house in in the town and find a place with a bit of land where we can have some animals, some alpacos, a couple of horses, maybe some chickens, uh, maybe another dog or two, and have a little bit of space to breathe, but also create a place where clients can come come to our place so whether that 's a converted barn, whether that 's a circle of yurts with a fire pit in the middle, I have no idea and the idea is to To create a space that's a really good place for thinking and rethinking and connecting with yourself and connecting with others that you work with and and to answer your question how how does it fit i mean in some ways it's just moving house right so in some ways it's the same thing as people experience in this country you know there must be a a, a 10 or 20 percent of people who are moving house at any particular time and that in itself is terrifying for most people because they are increasing their mortgage or they're moving to a new area and there is change and that is the unknown and that is uncomfortable. For me, there is an additional thing, which is it's a change of lifestyle. So the, the first part of the adventure has already happened, which is that I just found out yesterday that I've come to the top of the allotment list in <laughs> England, where I live. And so I'm going to see the allotment today. And this is the first part of the journey because probably it's going to take a year or 18 months before we're really settled in a new place, uh, in the right place. And I need to learn some stuff. So I'm taking riding lessons and um, so I can learn about horses. And growing stuff is going to be really important to us. So I have to make some time today just to go and have a look at this allotment. And even just going to have a look at it for 10 minutes is difficult to fit into my schedule. So one of the big changes that will have to happen, and it's part of the journey that I'm on at the moment, is how do you maintain the kind of results that you want to get, the the success or the impact that you're having with clients, whilst also slowing your life right down and having time for the horse riding, having time for the allotment, the alpacas, uh, whatever else it is that you want to do. And we live in a world at the moment that is, when someone asks you how you are, the right answer is busy. You know, if you were to say, I don't have much on, people think that there's a problem. I'm not convinced that busy is the right answer to that question. And there are plenty of people saying that as well, that we keep ourselves very, very busy. And you and I know this because we're in organizations all the time where people are very, very busy. And a lot is happening, but not much is really changing. There's a huge amount of activity, but not much to show for it. And if I'm serious about helping leaders to look at that and to rethink the answer to that question, then I have to go first and say, it is possible to run a successful business, to have an impact on the world, to make a difference to people's lives. and still have time for your life, for living the the other parts of your life fully and really being in them.
1: Was Uh, unexpectedly (laughs) profound. That's that's already my bullet question. I'm feeling a little touched by that, actually. So, back in Paxman mode. In the last few months, you've been working on a new book, uh, Punks in Suits. I love the title, but do we really need another book on leadership that that is a very good question i have
0: asked myself that question throughout the whole process i do not want to write another book that is just a rehash of other things that i already love there are some really great books out there and as people who know me uh, and work with me know i love sending them these books so in one way we don't need another book about leadership on the other hand when i send those books out to my clients it's never quite the book i really want them to read it's i want them to get something from that book but there are other things that i think need to be said or are more pertinent given the situation that they're in well they, they, they're almost written from two perspectives one of two perspectives one is you have complete freedom to change uh, the environment in which you operate uh, those books are aimed at people who run their own business or work for themselves or freelance or consultants, where they, where they do really have the opportunity to create something from from scratch. And, and that would that would apply if you were very very senior in a large organization too, and you really could have a dramatic impact on the environment in which people are working. The other type of book is the operate very much within the system, so the kind of rules of work. Leadership tips and tools, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about surviving the system and, 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 and gaming the system that you operate within. And I think that there's a third option, which is around whatever environment you are in, whatever environment you've chosen to be in for your work or that you find yourself in, there is a piece within that that is about who you are and how you turn up. And I haven't read, there are some books out there about that, but I haven't read any books that I think really hit that on the head about who to be and how you turn up. Because then, once you've you've connected with who you are and how you're going to turn up, the state that you're in, and you've recognised that actually working on that state and having an awareness of that state and really investing in that connection with yourself is the work of leadership then everything else that follows comes from that place then if you want to read the tips and tools about leadership or you want to to turn your organization into a into a holarchy, then fine but you've done the inner work And you continue to do the inner work and you continue to recognize that that work is really what leadership is all about. That's where leadership comes from. And that isn't a book that I've read. Why
1: why Punks in Suits?
0: Well, for the speech I, I wanted to challenge myself you know most most keynote speakers have done something sailed around the world or um uh climbed mount everest or they've done something impressive and i haven't really done any of those things i don't really like climbing mountains or sailing boats so i decided to watch 30 superhero films in 30 days which to me is the kind of same sort of challenge right it requires real dedication to watch 30 superhero films in 30 days and the idea was to look for analogies in these superhero films so that I could tell kind of superhero stories on stage and I could make connections between the superheroes in the movies and and real life superheroes like leaders. It turned out that it was a complete waste of time uh, because superhero films really couldn't teach me anything about leadership that wasn't rather trite you know like oh, you need to have x-ray vision so you can see, you know, what's coming or you you need to have super strength because it takes real resilience to be a leader. That is all the stuff that we've already read in in all the books. Um, So that was a complete waste of time. But I did emerge with some really cool quotes. And one of my favourites is from the film, Kick ass absolute classic. And the quote is, there's no room for punks in suits just real heroes who can really kick ass and at the end of the speech i often finish with that quote but when i was thinking about writing the book i thought you know there's two type of types of punks there's the kind of upstart kid who thinks he's all that you know and actually he's dressed like a rebel and he's trying to be rebellious but fundamentally he's a conformist He's trying to be something that he's not, to cover up whatever is really going on inside. So that's the sort of lowercase punk. And then there are the true punks. The punks of the 70s, and we still have punks like this today, who are, their punk is a manifestation, really, of their authentic self. It is an expression of who they are. They don't care. So much, what other people think they 're equally not trying to upset anybody they 're just trying to express in their clothes and in their manner and in their choice of music and and how they live who they really are and, and for me that 's the upper case punk there 's no room for the lowercase punks in suits. leaders who are, are dressed as as leaders who have all the badges of leadership, but inside they're conformists they are driven by fear of being judged Uh, they're, they're trying to be liked or they're trying to gain status we don't there's no there's no room for them but what there is tons of room for is really authentic individuals who may be wearing a suit but they are true punk and they are true to themselves wherever they possibly can be and they're driven by by their sense of of their own truth and that's the kind of punks in suits that we really need in business
1: talk about what you think are are a couple of compelling pieces from the book that would interest people to get involved with it when it comes out
0: well fundamentally i think that what leaders are are doing true leaders i mean not not leaders by position or job title people who are actually disrupting the status quo and bringing about change through people. I think what they're doing is rethinking, constantly rethinking. They're not accepting the hardwired kind of myths and conventions that they see around themselves as if those things were created by God and and can never be changed. So they look at everything. They look at uh, the language that they use. They look at the assumptions that they make about people they look at things like the hierarchy and whether that's working whether the team structure is working whether meetings work they're willing to look at everything working hours everything and so i think that the first piece it's a thread that's throughout the book is this concept of the rethinker. and the only way that you can do the rethinking is if you let go of your ego attachment to the status and the badges that come with conventional leadership, with leadership by job title. If you love those things and if you're very attached to them to a particular job title or to being the person that people have to come to to get the information or being the person that people have to come to to get the decision made, if you're the hero in that sense and you're very attached to that, it's going to be very difficult for you to do any pure rethinking because the rethinking may require you letting go of that stuff and you won't be able to entertain that That if you're very attached to it.
1: Hang on a second. Yeah. H- hang, on, hang on a second. <laughs> now, I don't consider myself an ego-driven person much. Um, but if, let's say, you're in your late 40s, you've been... Maybe in leadership position for ten years, part of your identity, and and it and of course it sounds like the right thing to do. Oh, let go of your ego. Go, oh, it's bloody terrifying doing that. Yeah, who are you if you don't have that? When I, when I left stockbroking, I spent a good eighteen months. When people asked me what I did, I'd go, "Well, I used to be a stockbroker, but now I'm a coach." Letting go—it's bloody ages. Really hard work. So what's compelling for me to do that? Because frankly, yes, the thought terrifies me. Yes, I know it's the right thing to do. But really? Mm -mm. Yeah,
0: I get that. Because I have been very attached and remain attached. I mean, I just bought a new car. Part of the reason that I bought this car, part of the reason is because I like driving up to my client's office in this car. I'm going to meet someone later for lunch and we're going to a, a pub um, for, for this meeting and uh, I'm hoping that the window of where we're having our meeting looks out over the car park so he can see my car. So, so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, as, I'm as attached uh, in some ways as, as the next person. But uh, I'll tell you why it's important and what's in it for people to do. This heavy attachment to these things actually makes life very, very difficult. It, it is a trap. And when I go into businesses and I see the discomfort, it's more than discomfort, the circles under the eyes that come from trying to be the person that your boss values the most, the pain of sustaining that facade, in a way, that that ego-driven facade, keeping the mask in place, is written all over the faces of the clients that I work with. Not all of them, but, you know, there are certainly individuals that I can bring to mind with the bags under their eyes and the, the sacrifices that they've made for their organization, but not just to deliver the organization's purpose, but to play the game, to get noticed by their boss, to secure resources for their team, to avoid blame landing on them because that will never be able to be shaken, to, um, to get promoted. You know, all, all of these things are driven by this ego and they are hard fought for and hard won. And there is a price to pay not not only that but there is huge frustration in it because we all think that if we or most of us think that if we make it to the top we will be able to then change the system from within and that can be our motivation but actually we get to the top and we look around and we think well I'm as trapped as I ever was if you think about some of the clients that you and I have worked with And these are good people on the board, really good people driven by, uh, fundamentally driven by something very important, which is a desire to to feed their families and to send their kids to good schools and to help improve the fortunes of of the people that work for them and deliver a quality product to their customers. That matters to them. But what drives their day-to-day activity is, what the, what the city thinks of them and positioning themselves for their next role and being seen a certain way by their people, being seen as invincible by their people, all of this kind of stuff. And it's almost as though they're, they're playing, they have two jobs. One is to do what's right for the business and one which is to sort of manage their, their reputation. And these two things are incompatible sometimes. One more give 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 me another another big one in the book. I think the second thing is that leadership is not a one man band. Most of the material about leadership seems to imply that you can develop yourself as a leader, and that's job done. so if you have empathy, if you have charisma if you have a good sense of humor. You know the massive list of leadership qualities that gets ever longer. All the things that you're supposed to embody and model. Um, If you can do all those things, then you're, you're a great leader. Firstly, I don't think that anyone can embody all of those things and model those things. And I think it is an inhuman expectation on a leader to say you can only call yourself a leader if you are basically a superhuman. But secondly, I don't think that leadership is done by one person. I think that leadership happens when a a bunch of people get together to achieve something together. And within that bunch of people, individuals will pop up at certain times to take the lead on something. At other times they'll take more of a back step or they will take a different kind of role, a coach role or a facilitator role or a a G-ing up the troops kind of role or they will become the troops for, for, for a while and that at other times people who we currently think of as the troops you know when, when you operate in a hierarchical organization that's the way that it is constructed there's no reason why those people can't be the real leaders because if leadership hasn't got anything to do with status or hierarchy or um, job title then leadership can come from anywhere it can come it comes from the people who are willing to to take an initiative and then get other people to be involved in that initiative to partner with them and that can come from anywhere but it can't be done by one person alone therefore for me a big theme is around creating gangs gangs of leaders who do stuff together make things happen together and again there's far less ego in that
1: but it actually is more likely to work Oh, sounds fantastic. Can't wait. We're doing this interview today, but I'm not doing this again. <laughs> every really? week. I like this. You can do this every week. Yeah, no. Tell me about the podcasting. Why are you doing it? I'm able to work with a certain number of
0: organizations a year, I'm able to speak to a certain number of audiences a year. But there's plenty of other stuff that I have to say, but also more questions that I would love people to be thinking about on their way in to work. And I I spend a lot of time in the car and a lot of time traveling, a lot of time at airports, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I find it great company, and I really enjoy that time to think. If I wasn't listening to the podcast, I'd probably have the laptop open or I'd be answering emails or something. So it really, it takes me away from the doing puts me back into my mind and and allows me to think. So I really love the podcasts and I would really like to add to the bank of what's available with some of these ideas and and doing one of my own. So I I was listening to some podcasts recently. I was trying to find some that in a sense are my competition, What, what are people listening to? What are my target market listening to? And I found most of them pretty conventional. They're very much... What I think of as force, you know, this kind of work hard, do more, be more perfect, push, push, force, force is not the message in my books. And it's not the message in the speech. It's not the message in the work that I'm doing. And there aren't that many podcasts. There are a few and I'll recommend some of them uh, when we get going. But there aren't that many that that are about mindset. You're getting yourself into the frame of mind to genuinely make an impact in your organization today and that's a much more subtle much more flow perspective intuitive perspective than this push push force force that's going to be the message behind it and also I'm going to really be encouraging people to take some of those questions that I'm posing and pose them to people that they're working with um, to create their own gangs that can have these conversations, not once a year at the team off-site, but constantly.
1: So this sounds a bit like if somebody is feeling a bit um, flat or needs a bit of um, oomph in their day or their leadership, they'll be able to listen to one of your podcasts and actually get some ideas that they can use that very day in the office. And not tips in terms of ideas, but actually questions that will support them to just have a think about what they're doing or have a think of who they're being at work. And, and maybe they'll be like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder, I wonder what my deputy chair thinks of that. So I'm aware that right now there are be more people listening to this than just you and I chatting away. So if people are listening to this and the messages are resonating with them and they're thinking, oh, I want more than this and, and punks and Suits isn't quite out yet, where, where else can they start? Where's the first place for them to look if they want to rethink what their leadership is actually about? I think it starts with
0: looking at anything that you take for granted looking around your organization you know from from the moment in fact that you get up in the morning to how you spend your time at work to the ways that other people spend their time at work the language that you hear around you the language that you use most often where you sit where you meet and, and looking at all of that and asking whether you're really whether these sort of conventional ways of doing things are really working for you and for your organization, whether you're really able to be yourself, to be the person that you truly are, whether others are able to as well, and what what the price is that the business is paying for that. Because your company is paying for the whole person. When you interview people to join your business, you're interested in all sorts of things that they can bring, all sorts of qualities, um, how they will add diversity in, in terms of personality and, and personal attributes to the team and to the organization, all the other experiences that they have, the stuff that they do outside of work that gives you a picture of the sort of person that they are. And then they join the business and you and you ask them intentionally or more likely unintentionally to leave most of that at the door when they come in their personal life the hobbies that they have outside the experiences from their past organisation their personality quirks and and so you're not paying you're not getting the full person that you paid for and for me when we're in an environment where businesses and whole industries are being disrupted in, in totally unpredictable ways that are really taking some of our clients by surprise you need your every single person in the business to be bringing everything that they have to offer and that means bringing their humanity not just their skills and 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 those things but their humanity because it's the if you can access their humanity then you can get all these brilliant ideas from them you can get the left field ideas you can get the the enthusiasm or you know the passion if you want to talk about that or just the commitment to to try things the only way to get your people to access that is to access it in yourself and i think that it's it does start with this rethinking you can you can start by thinking about what you're wearing to work is is this an expression really of who you are or is it some way of conforming to to some sort of Cookie cutter, polished version of what you think you ought to look like. Meetings to me are a great place to start. Are these meetings actually working? You know, we're sitting around a third of the week typically in a meeting. Are we getting anything from that time? I've just come back from an offsite with um, with some leaders from one of our client companies, and we spent about thirty six hours uh, together sitting outside. Most of the time, and the the feel we spent one morning in the meeting room, and it was completely different feel the type of conversation that was possible outside was not possible inside. We did far more, and I think those kind of things they 're small they 're subtle. this is not about big bang it's not about turning your organization into a into a non hierarchical self managing system it's just about looking at what is and what could be and disrupting the status quo.
1: Will you be speaking about some of these when when you talk at the Meaning Conference in November in Brighton? Hopefully,
0: yes. Yes. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm on a panel talking about the future of leadership and the kind of leadership we need now. If you want to be immersed in that world and to see that you're not alone, um, that there are plenty of people doing this thinking and actually operating in this way then definitely get down to to the conference it's going to be great
1: you better be brilliant i've invited several of my clients and they're all coming (laughs) great well i look forward to seeing them yeah so last question uh what's the next podcast about
0: the first one is going to be about dropping the mask i think unless you're unless you're willing to do that unless you're willing to show a little bit of who you are the vulnerability of course there's a lot of talk about vulnerability at the moment so of course show show the vulnerability but but all of it the joy the the enthusiasm the days when you're not feeling so brilliant if you're not willing to drop the mask a little and allow some of that out everything i say in future podcasts is going to be a waste of time so i think we have to start there fantastic
1: i look forward to it thank you very much
0: so that's it it was great fun being asked questions by Ginny and she asked me a couple of really good questions at the start of the interview and I'm going to recommend that you get someone to ask you these questions or even you ask someone else. And the questions were this, why do you do what you do? When have you in your life blown up something? Uh, something at work or, or something outside of work in the past? And Why did you do it? Or why do you keep doing it if you're a bit like me? So channel Oprah, channel Michael Parkinson, probably not Jeremy Paxman, but find someone who maybe you've known for years, but you don't know the answers to these questions. If you want to make an impact as a leader, really make a difference, you've got to get curious about people and you've got to allow other people to get curious about you. So do that today. Well, that's pretty much it for this week, but I thought I'd hand over to eight-year-old Ivy Palmer to appeal to you by reminding you what to do next. If you enjoyed the Punks in Suits podcast, please subscribe, review or comment. But most importantly, please share. We can't change the world of work or create a new approach to leadership on our own, we need others to join our gang. So please share this podcast with anyone you suspect is really a bit of a punk underneath that suit.